Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Scripture reading today is Matthew 4 and then 10 through 12. Text will be on the screen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right, good morning, church. If you're visiting, my name is Brian. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Trinity, and uh, families are taking some kiddos to uh, Children's Church, and a reminder to parents uh, to pick them up right after or right before you take communion. Parents get to uh, pick up a, um, just a review sheet that uh, is an effort to get parents to take some of the things that the kids are learning in uh, this class back home to have conversations about uh, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke in this case and how uh, they, as well as us, are all part of God's kingdom and calling to be part of his mission. Got a couple other things to highlight as well in terms of announcements. Uh, we've been highlighting this last three Sundays, but our church is going through and participating in a church assessment to help us with uh, hiring some staff in the future and some future uh, plans that we are making. Uh, our goal is to get uh, to 120 folks that are members and committed people to Trinity to take that assessment. So if you're visiting today or you're just checking out Trinity, there's no expectation on you to fill out an assessment of a church that you're just getting to know. Uh, but for those of you that are here, uh, uh, we are hoping to get 120 to do that. We have 28 to go, and today's the last day. So this even means, just for clarification's sake, maybe uh, in your household, like your spouse has taken it, and you're thinking that covers you. Uh, unlike the righteousness of Christ, that test is not imputed to you, so you still have to do it on your own. So everybody uh, above 16 in the household, we're hoping to uh, take that assessment just to get really clear results. The other thing to note, and this is highlighted again in your Sunday handout, is we are going to try something new for the season of Advent, uh, especially the first uh, three Sundays of Advent. Uh, and this is based on feedback we've had over the years of just curiosity to do something. It's an old school idea of an adult Sunday school hour. And uh, instead of just launching it for the whole year, we want to test it out. We want to do three Sundays uh, in a row before uh, church service where adults have a class uh, to go to uh, that will highlight a uh, topic for those three, three Sundays. So that will start on December 3rd, and we'll have another one on the 10th and the 17th. There'll be regular things that we typically have going on in the mornings, uh, like cat class and youth group will have class, but we're adding this adult Sunday school that will meet in the chapel uh, from 9 to about 9.45, and then youth as well um, will also have uh, some things to do as well, so there will be some activities for uh, kids as young as 18 months up to second grade. The emphasis of that class uh, will be one of those things that if you go to all three, uh, you'll be able to get different angles of a topic, but it's also okay if you're only able to go to one or two or even one. Just go and check it out. Uh, because it's the season of Advent, which is the beginning of the church calendar and then the beginning of uh, just our culture's calendar, January 1st is right around the corner, 
a lot of people in uh, the Christian faith think about ways of how to improve maybe Bible reading and times of prayer. It's just the type of year that, that Christians often think about ways of, of creating more habits of personal uh, worship and devotional life. So each one of those uh, Sundays will be a focus on a different area of that, how to do uh, personal devotionals, how to do devotionals with your kids, how to do uh, times of household worship with another adult, a spouse, a roommate, a classmate, that type of thing. Uh, I, I get the honor of teaching the first one, by the way, and one of the ways I want to set it up is to uh, really push back maybe on a tendency for either church leaders or even yourself to put too much on your shoulders and to create kind of a plan and approach to this thing that just kind of exhausts you, uh, kind of like launching into exercise by doing a marathon right away. It's uh, kind of better to, to do some smaller things, manageable things, and I want to really present a way that I've seen uh, folks are able to do some type of personal devotionals that's not just uh, overburdening burdening you, but you can actually kind of uh, stick with it. So anyway, if you've ever wanted to do this, I think the, the big takeaway is you've got to show up. So if folks don't show up, that says, hey, we aren't into this adult Sunday school thing. We're not into doing uh, a Sunday school hour, or at least not yet. But if this is something that uh, it would be valuable to add, maybe even next year as more of a permanent thing that we do, you've got to show up to this and show us by being there with your attendance that this is something that you would love our church leaders to launch in a more ongoing way. All right. Last thing that I want to highlight, especially for visitors uh, and folks that are new to Trinity, we offer these every once in a while, but there's a Connection Coffee that's occurring this afternoon. There's an invite for you out in uh, the entrance area, the narthex, that gives you all the details to this, and we would love to see you there. If, if this is your first Sunday, yes, you are invited to this. If this is uh, your months into exploring this, but you haven't had a way to connect uh, with folks intentionally, this is also for you. I will be there, and one of the ways to minister to me as an extroverted pastor is for you to come and talk with me and to let me get to know you. I'd love to meet you. Uh, and uh, a church uh, family hosts this, and we have uh, coffee and treats and that sort of thing for you to enjoy. So please come to uh, the Connection Coffee this afternoon at 3.30. All right, last thing. So sermon series, this is it uh, for our sermon series, Blessed, Delighting in the Good Life, where we've considered different ways our world has been calling us to their version of the good life that has left us anxious and exhausted and divided and comparing that to what the Lord Jesus and the Christian faith tells us is the blessed life, the good life that, that cultivates a, a life of happiness. And the way that we are going to end it today is to really focus on uh, really this question like how can you even um, live a good life when there's so much pain and maybe personal burdens that we carry around in life? Like how is it even possible to, uh, to cultivate the good life in light of that? And then next week we move to our next sermon series where we begin uh, the book of Genesis that will take us to the summer. So let's go ahead and close this uh, sermon series with blessed are those who mourn. Let's pray first. Lord, this gathering of people are guided here by your hand and by your spirit that continues to work through our homes and our neighborhoods, our campuses and world. You are active, Lord, because you desire to show your glory. You desire for us to be blessed, to discover paths of righteousness and forgiveness and grace and love, to get something in our hands that can never be taken away, 
something that is solid and reliable and faithful. And we see all those things fulfilled and displayed in your Son, Jesus Christ. What he accomplished in his death and resurrection and what he continues to accomplish to this day through the power of the Spirit. It is that what, that what we want to turn our eyes to right now and what we want to focus on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this weekend I got to go out with some friends uh, to an event that ended up being just a huge bummer and very, very cringy. Uh, let me tell you what happened this weekend. And, and actually, one of the things as I was experiencing this weekend is my, my big takeaway is at least I got a sermon illustration out of this that I got to use immediately. Uh, so there's a music concert in downtown St. Paul uh, that included a very talented musician. He's, he's a very good uh, vocalist and guitarist. His name is Jose Gonzalez, and he is uh, a Swedish singer-songwriter, uh, which might be surprising by his name, but he, Jose Gonzalez is a Swedish singer-songwriter. Uh, and like I said, he's just absolutely amazing on guitar, and a lot of us were very excited to hear them, uh, hear him. But the evening turned out to include more than music. It actually started to feel about midway through it a bit of a baiting switch. Kind of like one of those friends that from high school that might reach out to you on Facebook and say, hey, you want to get together? And then you have coffee and all of a sudden the person's selling you insurance. It's just like, this is not what I expected. I thought I was coming here to hear music and we got a lot more than that. The format of the evening included only six songs, but the bulk of it was a documentary about him uh, that was about an hour and 20 minutes and then there was a couple interviews about his experience that was displayed in the documentary and, it, and some of this was very interesting. The documentary highlighted his uh, experience uh, earlier in his life, he was in, his, in middle age at this point, he suffered a mental breakdown and that just dominated his life, he couldn't get out of bed and uh, even his perception of reality was, was just off, he was in a very very dark uh, and mournful place. And one of the ways that uh, he combated this breakdown, his mental breakdown, is to uh, uh, focus on science and technology as a way to get him out of that. That he just thought, if I just do all the things that, that the, the experts know, promote a healthy life, if I just focus on those things, then uh, my life can get better and I can stay better. So in addition to professional help that he sought and medication, he also uses this app uh, that he highlighted in the documentary that advertises a focus on the things that will help your life uh, be longer, you know, proven by scientific data. And it's some things that you uh, all know uh, about already. Consistent sleep, a good diet, drinking water, exercises, meditation, quiet, those are the things that this app reminds him to focus on. He even went on this very interesting highlight of uh, researching and looking into something called micromorts. Do you know what micromorts are? Have you heard about these? This is a measurement that shows how risky human behavior is that could contribute to a higher likelihood of you dying. And so the higher the number, the higher the micromort, then the more likely you are to die. Uh, and if you're curious, I looked up some things if you're wondering what human activity is kind of risky. Uh, shark attacks, you dying from one of those, not very risky. That is 0.002 micromorts is how that is measured. Bike ride is one. Running a marathon is seven. Uh, driving is 100. Giving birth is 120. If you have a career in logging, 
That is 1,200 micromorts. If you go on a climb to Mount Everest, that is 37,932 micromorts, so probably a pretty risky endeavor. And it said, like, the, the thing I was reading on it just highlighted per climb, so I guess that means that's what it is on the way up and on the way down. Um, getting out of bed at age 45 is six micromorts. But get this, getting out of bed at age 90 is 463. All right, so a little bit riskier to get out of bed if you're older. And so he was highlighting these things, and he thought by focusing hard on these realities, uh, he would get in a better place. And, and to a certain degree, he did. He was able to get in a better place. He still struggles with big existential questions, but he, in this concert, and this is where the bait and switch comes, he wanted us to, all to know what he discovered as good news. And it ended up essentially being this big altar call to secular humanism. I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, you expect this maybe at an evangelical youth group, but not at the Fitzgerald Theater. And if you're not familiar with secular humanism, it's a belief in humanity rather than religion, and that we all have the capacity to discover truth and beauty through human reason rather than supernatural revelation. And he wanted us to all know that and abandon these primitive ways that, you know, 90% of the human population uh, deal with uh, you know, life and being able to go through life. Uh, the uh, event really included a high, doors, a high uh, dose rather, of moral superiority, taking time to make fun of Jehovah's Witnesses as well as soccer fans who blindly get caught up and detached from reality in their kind of religious and sports uh, uh, kind of like uh, passion. And he was calling all of us to uh, consider uh, a better way to live life by focusing on your own reason and your own pursuit of reality. And he highlighted his lyrics as a way to reflect on those things. So there you go. There is an answer for those who mourn, which is the topic of the sermon today. For those who mourn and are experiencing difficulties of life, Jose Gonzalez would say, focus on your own capacity to know the truth, and use technology to make it through life in a healthy manner. I know you're super inspired at this point, right? <laughs> Amen, let's take an offering. Well, obviously, I'm a pastor, so I'm a little bit skeptical about this answer. So let's consider uh, this advice, and even just other ways that maybe modern people deal with suffering and mourning. Now, I don't think what he's saying is totally out of line. A focus on technology is certainly part of a holistic view of reality and a healthy life, and so is grabbing on to things that are true and real. Yet, is this enough for those of us who mourn? What can we grab onto to navigate the tough things of life? What are the things that make us mourn, and how is it possible to even experience the good life, the blessed life, when there is so much death and pain? The sermon is going to go on to uh, explain why, from Scripture, we experience suffering and death and mourning, how our, our modern uh, culture deals with it, and then some good news from the scriptures. So let's first start with uh, why this happens. The scriptures say that there are three different reasons why we suffer. I'm adapting this from a, another pastor who spoke on this before. One reason that we mourn and we suffer is we suffer by doing the wrong things, by, by breaking God's ordering of things. 1 Peter 4.15 says... If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, criminal or even as a meddler. 
So Peter is making a point here that sometimes we suffer because we sin and we do something wicked, and the impact of that behavior causes suffering to us and to those around us. And he says there's uh, nothing good from suffering in this manner. This text gives us some examples. You suffer because you do something criminal. You took someone's life or you stole their possessions or a couple highlights. Uh, but then he brings this other third example that is kind of the one that sticks out because it's maybe not as intense, a little bit more common. You uh, suffer because you could be a meddler. Do you know what a meddler is? A meddler is someone who gets in other people's business when they don't belong there. They nose around. As you probably maybe have experienced this type of thing or this person in life. It's the person that you have to say, like, why are you minding your own business? You're meddling and you're stirring up gossip and dissent. This doesn't concern you. That's uh, one of the ways that you can cause suffering. Not only these intense examples, but things that are actually fairly common to people in our experience. So one reason we suffer is because we do the wrong thing. Here's another reason from 1 Peter. You can also suffer by doing the right thing. So you can suffer by doing the wrong thing, but you can also suffer by doing the right thing. 1 Peter 4.14 and 16 says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Here someone, is, again, is suffering for doing the right thing. They're insulted because of the name of Christ. And it's important to note that the reason for the suffering is emphasized here as the name of Christ to do things in the way that Christ directs us and that God's word directs us to love God and to love neighbor, to pursue justice, that even if you do those things, you may suffer for it. This person is not suffering because of political opinions, but rather because of faith. They're not suffering because they present the gospel as a jerk. They share their faith in humility and in love, but yet they get pushed back and ridiculed for that. You can, uh, in this, uh, there's cases that you can uh, suffer for doing the wrong thing, uh, like the way you're communicating the gospel, rather than the right thing in proclaiming the gospel in love and truth. There's a distinction being made there. But there's a couple highlights so far from Peter where he says you can suffer by doing the wrong thing, you can suffer by doing the right thing, and a third uh, place to highlight uh, that Scripture says about suffering is that you can, be, you can suffer by doing nothing. That's the third reason that we suffer. You can suffer by doing the wrong thing, the right thing, and also by doing nothing at all. The scriptures highlight a couple different ways that one suffers in this manner. First, there's the reality of uh, injustice in the world. Uh, I always think about the definition of oppression that Carl Ellis Jr., he's a New Testament theologian, says, he says, quote, oppression occurs when people impose their ungodliness on others causing them to suffer the consequences. So some person has this sinful idea, and then it's imposed on a culture and other people. So ungodly ideas imposed on the innocent and on other people causes suffering. And we also suffer when we do nothing because of the reality that creation is just broken. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present point. Here Paul is saying that sin has impacted not only us, but everything around us. Sin is making creation come apart 
and things are not the way that they ought to be. So we experience disease and natural disasters or freak accidents, things that are, are happen to us even though we've done nothing at all to cause them. Even if you don't do anything, you can experience suffering. And how do we often deal with this as a modern people? And there's a bunch of different ways I can highlight it. I want to give three examples of maybe ways that we deal with the reality of suffering and mourning and grief and death in our life. One way that we deal with it is by trying to ignore it. Just don't think too much about it. Maybe think more positive things. And, and if you focus on those things and maybe those relationships that bring you joy, then you'll be okay. But one of the things we realize is that even if we try to ignore it, sin and death and suffering has a way of uh, inserting itself into our lives even if it's not invited in. Uh, even if people are having a good time, like this is, this is something that's really hard to then bring up is something that is uh, about the reality of our suffering and mourning. I recently, and I finally was able to uh, see what all the hype was about, uh, about the Barbie movie. I got to watch that this weekend. And you might uh, remember there's this scene in there that it's actually just really well done where they're, they're at this dance party, they're having a good time. Barbie Land is awesome. It's just this utopia. And, and the main character... Uh, uh, in the middle of a dance party, just blurts out, do you ever think about dying, right? And the record screeches to a halt, and everybody's just awkward, like, why would you say that? You're ruining our good time, because in Barbie land, you kind of ignore those big existential questions, and she just leaned right into it. So that's one way that people uh, unsuccessfully try to deal with mourning and suffering, is just try to ignore it. We also try quick fixes in the modern world. We are often marketed with ways that we can deal with things that are wrong with the world. If you're broken yourself, you got your own issues, read this self-help book and you'll be on the way to wholeness. If the world is broken, well then we have technology, medicine, and knowledge that will take care of it. And the problem here is that no matter what we do, suffering and death still stay near and they even interrupt those things, those things of, of that we can do to improve our lives or that things that even society has done to improve our lives. Going back to Jose Gonzalez, this is actually something in his documentary that was really interesting that he essentially, uh, in this like process of him thinking through these things, he discovered, he had a change of mind where he started growing skeptical of technology's ability to fix his problems and society's problems. But he finally learned that as good as these things can be, they're not ultimate and they're not ultimately going to take away every source of pain and suffering. Maybe a third example is uh, we just focus on uh, optimistic things in the pursuit of uh, dealing with suffering. That if you just have a kind of a view of the world that it will get better, this will go away eventually, it'll all be okay. Uh, one of the ways I've thought about um, how the reality or the, how, I don't know, how, how shaky that type of ground is to just embrace this naive optimism about things that it's always going to get better is that there are certain experiences that people go through where that's not the case. I've, 
I've obviously been thinking a lot about this in, in light of people that, for example, are, are diagnosed with a chronic illness, for example. And when, when you have these experiences, sometimes you could be diagnosed with an illness, but if you have this kind of optimism that like, we have the technology, we have the uh, ways of being able to get to a point that there will be a day in my life where you, can't, you don't have to deal with this anymore, it'll finally go away, and then you have this optimism that, that, that is driving you towards hope in dealing with something like an illness because you just believe there will finally be a day that this will finally go away. And what's, what's really crazy is that that's a, an experience that somebody with chronic illness doesn't actually get to have anymore because you don't get to look forward to a day where it's going to be gone. It just is there. And it's really disorienting for folks that are diagnosed with this, that, that kind of, that kind of uh, inability now to have that optimism because now you have to reorient your whole life to learn now how to manage it and, and to learn to live with this reality that is very mournful and unfortunate and brings a lot of burdens in life. So whenever you think about life being blessed or happy, which is what the sermon series has been emphasizing, it's understandable that a lot of people have skepticism that could this even happen? Because I have some, you might be thinking, I have some very serious things in my life, some really heavy things, a lot of brokenness that I've experienced or that I've contributed to, or like I said, you've done nothing at all, but suffering has a way of finding you and burdening your life. And it's just hard for you to ever even think about getting to a point where your life flourishes again because there's so much grief and there's so much mourning. And maybe you relate to some of these examples that I've given where like you've tried optimism, you've tried self-help, you've tried ignoring it and kind of come to these same conclusions that there are really uh, not a lot of ways that, that, that has helped you be able to grab on something steady in your mourning so that you can put one foot in front of the other. And so that's where we want to now pivot to uh, the gospel readings for today and the words of Jesus because he says a very shocking thing about mourning and uh, facing suffering that it's not something to ignore that there's no qu quick fixes and there's actually something that is steady enough to hold on to that should give you optimism but it's nothing in this life he he reinforces the teaching that even if you experience suffering, even if you experience persecution and mourning, you can still have the good life. Look at Matthew 10 through 12, uh, 5, 10 through 12 again. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. As I already said, and this happened and uh, showed you this in uh, the letter of Peter, that doing the right things and being a faithful Christian will bring suffering. That's what Jesus is saying here. But this is suffering for doing what is good, for being on the path of love and righteousness and justice, but that can still bring suffering. Christians can suffer for proclaiming the gospel, uh, and, and, that, that, and people will not always respond well to it. This is suffering because you're standing up for righteousness and justice, because that's what Jesus, King Jesus tells you to do, even if others don't do that with you. This is the suffering that happens to you when maybe you came to Christ and you embrace Jesus Christ from a family who still doesn't believe and maybe ridicules you for it. 
This is the type of suffering that happens when you keep faith in Jesus, even when you see the tragedy of others in your life falling away from the faith. When you're a Christian, you become an exile in Christ, that you understand that this world is not your own, this is not your home, but that is a place of belonging that you are traveling to, and that that ultimate rest and belongings are days that are going to be in your future. And right now, you may have a compass and a direction on that path and to that destination, but that also means that although you've discovered love and truth and beauty, you still live in a world that doesn't see uh, the beauty of love in Christ quite like you do. And so, folks will ridicule you for it because darkness does not like to be exposed by the light. No one likes to hear, either by your words or see with your life, that the path they may be on is headed, headed in the wrong direction. And so you will get persecuted for heading home to your place of belonging. And it's hard for us because we want people to see the beauty of this path of righteousness and to join us. And so persecution is a rejection of our life in Christ by others. And Jesus says that is a sign that you are on the right path towards home. Or as this text says in the Beatitudes, that you are heading towards the kingdom of heaven. You are heading towards your reward in heaven. A reward, as we'll get to in a moment, that can never be taken away. Jesus also says in Matthew 4 or 5 verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here Jesus is making a promise to those who bear significant grief, who experience the difficulties of life, and they will, a future tense, be comforted. A day of comfort will happen. This is likely a reference to the text we looked at last week, Isaiah 61, 2-3, that says this, that this Messiah is going to come to proclaim the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. As we saw last week, Jesus is the one that fulfills these promises. He is the one who gives the good life to those who mourn. And the reason he has is because he has blazed a path back to God, our ultimate home and source of comfort. And this is something that God gives us in Christ, a hope that is real, not naive optimism, but a hope that is real, that is tangible, and that you can hold on to. And, and objective hope in reality is a powerful way to navigate suffering and mourning. Just think about uh, other things that human beings are willing to tolerate that are painful and unpleasant, as long as you know the destination is worth arriving at. Just think about hiking, for example. To, Yes, I'll give you just an example that, that's a little bit more tame than the intensity of the other things I've been talking about. If you go on a hike, especially a long hike, maybe you're going up a mountain, your body hasn't adjusted to the altitude yet, that it takes some work. You're going to sweat, you're going to grumble, you're going to get hungry. Like, it, it's not necessarily a pleasant experience. It takes some work. But why do people put themselves through that. I mean, you could just sit back at a cabin in front of a fire and relax. Why would you, why would you go through the, the torture of going through a hike? And one of the big reasons why the people do that is because of the destination you're going to. If you're going to arrive at a place of beauty and just glory, 
then it makes the journey worth it because of where you are going to arrive. And that's what Jesus is saying is the happy life. It's not that the Christian life takes away suffering and pain in this life. We will still experience it. But the happiness, the blessedness comes from the reality that we embrace that there will be a day of comfort that we will, re- we will arrive at because of the path that Jesus blazed back home to the place that we have belonged. Now, I want to contrast the opening of this sermon with um, uh, the story from that musician with uh, somebody else that we've been referring to quite a bit in the sermon series, going back to the great uh, church father, St. Augustine. Uh, and a lot of this comes again from a book I've referenced already, On the Road with St. Augustine by Jamie uh, Smith. Uh, Augustine, like all of us, had a lot of grief. He, he, had, he had faced things in life that were just uh, horrific and just burdensome. And a couple examples that the book gives is losing a friend and losing his mom. Losing people that you absolutely love, absolutely adore through death. And then he experienced deep, deep, deep grief about that. When he was reflecting on his grief of losing specifically this friend that he was really close to, he wrote this, quote, I found myself heavily weighed down by a sense of being tired of living and scared of dying. I suppose that the more I loved him, his friend, the more I hated and fear, uh, and the more hatred and fear I felt for the death which had taken him from me, as if it were my most ferocious enemy. I thought that since death had consumed him, it was suddenly going to engulf all of humanity, of course, including himself. See, everything in him knew that this was not the way it was meant to be. That when you find somebody or something that you love, that that, that's meant to something that you can hold on to and that you can cherish and, and, and enjoy forever. And he recognizes the human experience of when that's taken away, that's a deep cause of grief. Uh, like many of us that, that mourn things, we know that this world is evil. And suffering and death is not something to be embraced as a reality that's good. It's something that shows that there's something off about the world that's not quite right. It's the disorder of good, the disruption of wholeness, the disintegration of life. That's what death and suffering is. And I know I've mentioned this in sermons before, but it's worth repeating that in Scripture, death is not only an event, but an experience, that you can experience death because Scripture views our life as either heading towards a path that leads to its comfort and wholeness or heading on a path that continues to break us down, to experience death as we head towards the event of death death. To be near death is to be depressed rather than blessed, anxious rather than hopeful, broken rather than whole, half dead rather than full of life. And one can feel like death even without dying. And that's what St. Augustine felt when he lost his friend that he loved so much. Augustine goes on to share this experience of losing his friend and continues to reflect on it. And he says one of the reasons for his grief, he says, quote, I had poured out my soul on the sand by loving a person sure to die as if he would never die. You see what he's saying right there? He's saying one of the reasons for his grief is that he put all the cards of security and love into the basket of this relationship not realizing that this human relationship, which was loving and something to be cherished, could also be taken away from him. 
Now, Jamie Smith, the author, goes on to say that this is more than just a point of adultery, that's idolatry, which is, you know, maybe the, the friend, which is a good thing to have friendship, became the ultimate thing. It, it, he went on to explain that there's more to it than that. Grief often explains what our human heart desires. Do you ever know that? When you grieve the loss of something or someone that you love, it also often explains something that your heart is after, and it's getting continually exhausted of not having found it. And one of the, thing that our, one of the things, and the ultimate thing, that our human heart desires is someone or something that is a type of love that can never be taken away. Because it is so hard to love things and have them constantly taken away in this life. What Augustine is identifying is this reality of the human heart. That if we're going to make it through mourning, if we're going to make it through grief, if we're going to make it through suffering, we have to have something that is real. Jose Gonzalez was right in that sense. We do need reality to put our hands around. But the thing that, he, that we often do is we embrace things in this life that even if they're good and lovely things, they ultimately are taken away from us and they fail us and they don't remain and they fall apart. And that grief that you experience in that morning, it, it should be a testimony and a reminder to your human heart that what you ultimately desire and what you need as a human being is a love that can never be taken taken away. That's what we're after. And I have some good news for you. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else, in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what your heart is after, a love that can never be taken away. And that's what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's love is so great that even sin and suffering and death, when it was leveled against him on the cross, it didn't win. Light overcame the darkness. Resurrection overcame the grave. And the point of this entire sermon series is to remind you that this is what you have in Christ. The good life now and the day of comfort to come. That Jesus, when he, when he revealed himself, didn't just give us a map towards this path of blessedness and this path towards home. He came into our suffering and into our world and didn't just give us directions, but he blazed the path back to where we belong. He jumped into our world and took these things on and leveled them so that we now have a way ahead, even in our grief and even in our mourning. And on that way, he calls us to enjoy the blessed life with companions on that journey, 
that have purpose in life even when it remains really, really hard. Because sharing in Christ's resurrection is the good life. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by a love that will never be taken away. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's move to a way that we remind ourselves of this uh, eternal love at this table. A music team will be coming back up here as usual and be leading us through song. And during that first song, you are going to be invited up to this table. There will be a couple people on both sides with uh, a plate of bread and uh, the cup. And you come down to this table uh, during this first song, and you take a piece of bread, and you take a cup, and then you go back to your seat, and then you can take communion as you feel led. This table is open to anybody who believes in Jesus. It's okay if this isn't your church home. If you believe in Jesus, please come to this table and have fellowship with us and the presence of Christ who is here. If you are here and you're just exploring the Christian faith, feel no pressure or obligation to participate in this time. We are glad you are here. We're glad you are leaning into these things. And we hope that you hear very clearly that we believe as Christian people in the core of our being that what you are after is a love that can never let you go and never be taken away and that you can find that here in Christ Jesus.